Father, as uh, we open your word, um, help us, Father, may your Holy Spirit do a work to make us honest about ourselves, uh, that we might recognize ourselves in your word, that we might recognize our fears that your word creates, but we also, Father, might recognize the hunger that we have for what your word teaches, the, the longing we have to have that be real in our, wor- in our hearts and in our lives. So, Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us so that we might be fed by you, by your word. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, if you could go back in a time machine uh, to talk to young George Sinclair when he was a kid, um, and uh, you were able to convince George, uh, the young George Sinclair that you weren't going to tell my parents... Uh, that I really could answer honestly. And if you were to ask the young George Sinclair, which was your least favorite day of the week, or is there a day you hate, I would not have had to think about it. I would have said Sunday. In fact, if you would have asked me, what is your the day you hate the most, your second uh, most hateful day, your third most hateful day, I would have said Sunday, Sunday, and Sunday. Uh, because basically I liked the other days of the week most of the time, but I, I hated Sunday. I grew up in a home with very strict Sabbath observance. Church three times a day. You go to Sunday school, then after you go to Sunday school, you go to church, and then you go home and, uh, and you, uh, you get ready for the evening service. Uh, most of the time you weren't allowed to watch television and I was never allowed to pray with my, play with my friends. So Sunday was unbelievably boring and I hated it. In fact, I only stopped hating it. I can't remember how old it was. I was. I really only stopped hating it when I was old enough to get away, uh, to go biking somewhere. Uh, and it wasn't so that I could observe the Sabbath, but my parents didn't know what I was doing, and I could have some fun. And that was my experience of, of keeping the Sabbath. Um, I have to confess that, you know, on one hand, that has probably cast a long shadow on my life in terms of how I've kept the Sabbath ever since. And uh, and so on one hand, because the, the, we're talking about the Ten Commandments today, if you're a guest, we're going through the Ten Commandments. Today is the Fourth Commandment, uh, and it's about Sabbath keeping. You can We're going to look in a moment to Deuteronomy 5, if you want to sort of be turning there. Uh, but, I, you know, as I, all, all week, uh, or the last two weeks, uh, as I've been thinking and praying about this text, on one hand, I'm very conscious that that's, you know, that's part of my background, very strict observance of the Sabbath. On the other hand, there's the Canadian context today. And I, I'm probably, it's maybe not describing all of you, so for some of you, I'm describing other people. But probably for most of us, if we murdered somebody this week, we'd probably feel guilty. Just a guess. Probably if we stole something this week, we'd feel a little bit guilty. Just a guess. We committed adultery this week. Hopefully you feel guilty. If you haven't kept the Sabbath in four months, doesn't bother us in the least. Like for the average Canadian Christian today, we probably don't know how to keep the Sabbath. And if we don't keep the Sabbath at all, or at least not even vaguely how God has intended it, that's just fine. We don't even feel the least tiniest smidgen of guilt. And that's the context within which we have to sort of look at God's word. And um, 
So we're going to do that, and I have to confess that I've learned a lot this week studying the text. I really have. And I realize that in some ways I haven't kept the, the, the Sabbath as, as well as I should. Um, I don't know if I have a solution for kids finding Sundays boring. I don't know if I have a solution for that. Um, part of it is sometimes just it's bo- things are boring in life and kids have to learn that. But we need to learn from God's word about what it is. Should, should we be trying to keep the Sabbath? Should we be going back to how I was raised? Should we be doing something different? Well, we're going to look at that. So if it's in Deuteronomy chapter 5, is the is one of the two versions of the Ten Commandments, since the one that we've been using as uh, week by week we've been going through it. Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're going to begin at the first verse. And just a bit of a context, I don't know how much Jonathan told you every week, but some of you might not have been here, so I'll just say it to you now. There's two versions of the Ten Commandments. There's only small differences between the two of them. Actually, the Sabbath-keeping is is the one with the most changes. Uh, The the first version in the book of Exodus takes place shortly after they've left Egypt. And this version, the Deuteronomy version, Deuteronomy is Moses has led the people to the edge of the Promised Land. They're about The people are about to enter the Promised Land. Moses knows that he is not going into the Promised Land. He will die. He will have seen it from afar, but he will not enter it. He knows that. And in some ways, the book of Deuteronomy is a very long sermon by Moses. And it's not only a reminding of the covenant, it's, in a sense, a renewal of the covenant between the Lord God Almighty and the people of Israel. It's a renewal of the covenant before they go in to take the promised land and to live in it. And so uh, Moses recites or reminds them of uh, what went on and of the covenant, and that's the context. And so off we go. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. And, and Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. And pause there for a second. This is really important. <laughs> when we stop right here, Everybody in the world, all of the different religions of the world are very comfortable. If you could put up the first point, Andrew. I mean, there's slightly different ways to word this. I thought of about two or three different slight ways to word it if you wanted to capture in Hinduism or Buddhism or you know, certain other types of spirituality. But religion says, if I obey and if I achieve what the rules require, then God will show me favor. That's the basic religious impulse, that uh, if I obey and if I achieve what the rules require, then God will show me favor. So when Deuteronomy 5, when Moses begins, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them, all of the religions of the world say, okay, good. These are the Jewish rules or the Christian rules. Let's sit down. They all sit down, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, uh, North Americans say, let's sit down. Let's look and see how good their rules are, are compared to ours. You know, because spiritual people will say, okay, well, I'm really interested to hear what these rules are because I know that if I'm spiritual, not religious, my rules are way better. Like my rules are just, uh, you know, uh, treat yourself regularly, make sure you do yoga a couple of times a week. Uh, try not to murder anybody this week. Uh, you know, you deserve a, a latte or a nice back, you know, whatever it is, you know, or you, you know, you have to make sure you, uh, you send at least one angry tweet against Trump. 
Um, like there's just a variety of different things that you might want to say, you know, but that, but you know, the fact of the matter is, is the entire world can sit down at the end of verse one and say, okay, this is very interesting. Okay. Cause religion is all about keeping rules. In fact, you see for many people in North America who would describe themselves as being completely and utterly irreligious as having given up on religion, they'd say basically that whole treadmill of keeping rules Forget about it. It's, they're stupid. You know, the fact of the matter is, I, if I just feel like getting, you know, drinking late into the night on Saturday, getting up whenever I bleepily, bleepily, bleepity, bleep, feel like it on a Sunday morning, you know, and wandering over, you know, having a latte, uh, having some nice pastries, just living life on my own terms for my own interest to accomplish my own things and forget about spiritual, forget about religious. And there's a lot of people in Canada like that. Because they basically understand that the only option is between religion, where there's going to be rules to win the God's favor, and no religion, or irreligion. And when there's no religion and irreligion, you say, just forget about it. When you die, that's it. You know, suck it up. When you die, that's it. And in between, don't bother with all these stupid rules. Good grief. Praying five times a day with complicated ceremonies? Forget about it. Have a drink. Chill out. Watch some Netflix. Get a life. Because most people were all prepared for verse 1. Okay? Give me the rules, God. And I'll figure out a way to keep them. Because <laughs> I want to know your favor. And that's the basic context. And by the way, the constant struggle within Christianity is because whether you're Protestant or Catholic or Eastern Orthodox... Whether you're charismatic or evangelical, the constant drift is to follow the human heart to turn the Christian faith into a religion. You gotta to go to confession, you gotta say so many Hail Marys, uh, you gotta to go to Mass certain days, uh, cause they're days of, so, uh, what do they call them, solemn obligation or something like that. And, and we Protestants, we're nowhere way, way, way better than those, you know, Roman Catholics, you know, but ours are, you know, I don't know, you gotta go to church a certain number of times, you know, you gotta be able to know the praise songs, you have to know when to raise your hands, you have to be in a congregation that claps, you don't clap, you have to do this rule, you have to do that rule, but we, we turn it into, like my parents, in some ways, in their church, Sabbath keeping was a low, a list of rules that had to be kept. And if you didn't keep the rules, like what are you, Roman Catholic or something? Like not a Christian? Like I'm not picking, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure if I had some Roman Catholics here, they could say, yeah, you don't go to Mass. What are you, a Protestant? Like it's the human heart that's the problem. And so we understand it. And religion is all about obeying, achieving, the rules, what they require, then God will show me favor. So we read verse 1 again, and we're all set. Oh, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak to you in hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Okay, I am oriented. It's a religious text, religious rules. The Muslims, the Buddhists, the Hindus, we all sit around because the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Muslims know they're going to have better rules than these ones. And then in verse 2, Moses throws a curveball. He throws a knuckleball. He throws a screwball. He throws a ball that nobody's expecting. And he continues to throw screwball after screwball because Moses 
and he's just speaking for God, wants to mess with our religious mind. How does it go in verse 2? The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. What? No, 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 God. No, 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 God. Moses, you got this wrong. You're supposed to tell us the different rules that we do, and then if we succeed in the rules that we do, then you might make a covenant with us. You don't start with making a covenant with us. Like, no, 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 God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just stop. Moses, stop. Time out. We're, you're supposed to tell us the different things that we have to do so God will show us the favor of a covenant. Because we need to sort of have a bit of a say in this, so you're a bit in our debt. You don't begin by announcing that you make a covenant with us. You just make a covenant with us. Now, you see, when we read this as a religious way, we skip this part. This is now where it goes, blah, 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 verse 7. <laughs> yada, 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 verse 7. But God messes with our religious heart. He messes with our desire to create a system whereby really God sort of owes us some favors because of our great success at rule-keeping. But he messes with us. In fact, if you could put this the next point up, Andrew, in some ways this is the summary of what's going on in the whole Ten Commandments. First, God makes a covenant. Then he redeems us. Then he asks us to keep a weekly Sabbath for him by resting and remembering. The order is really important. You see, the religious inclination is, if we rest and remember very well, God will redeem us. If we rest and remember very well, God will spend time with us. The order is unbelievably important. God makes a covenant with us. We do nothing to make the covenant. Absolutely nothing. We do as much to make a covenant with God as we have a say in how fast the earth spins around the sun. Let's have a world vote about how fast the earth spins around the sun. doesn't matter. God makes the covenant. And then God, as we're going to see in a moment, he redeems them. They didn't redeem themselves. Not even remotely close. He does everything to redeem them. And after he's made the covenant, after he's redeemed them so that they can be part of the covenant, he asks these different rules. Not these different rules, these different Words is a better word than rules. These different words. And um, as we're going to see in a moment, if you look at the Ten Commandments, eight of the commandments involve not doing something. Two of the commandments, God gives us a project, so to speak. Something to aim for. We'll talk about this more in a moment. This one, that we're to attempt to keep the Sabbath, and the next one about honoring parents. Eight don't steal, don't murder, don't, don't, don't. For two of them, in a sense, there's something to pursue. But we're going to see as we keep reading this that first God makes a covenant, then he redeems us, then he asks us to keep a weekly Sabbath for him by resting and remembering. So let's go back to verse 2 again, and we'll see that this is exactly how it's structured. 
And it's really important because our religious sensibility wants to make verses 2 to 6, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. We need to listen. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. That's a very simple thing. Basically, when God makes a covenant, the implication is that it's going to be multiple generations until either he brings in a new covenant or the end comes. For us, the covenant um, the covenant with Israel still has a bearing and importance up until Jesus comes again. But for us, uh, both Jews and Gentiles who are in here in the congregation together as Christians— uh, the church is this the, the new covenant of his blood instituted when Jesus dies on the cross. That's the covenant. There will be no other covenant until Jesus returns. And it's understood by this covenant. He, God's showing us that covenants are understood to be intergenerational, multiple generational, especially within your own children, but also to extend beyond your own children. Verse 4, it continues, the Lord God, the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain. In other words, it was a personal communication. They don't see his face, but this is face to face is a poetic way of saying he's, he's right in your face. He's, he's right up close to you when he's speaking to you. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire. While I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. Once again, emphasizing that God spoke for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. And God said, now here he's introducing himself. This is the second little bit of what I've set up here. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He hasn't told them a single rule. Hasn't told them a single thing to do. God made the covenant. You didn't do anything to make the covenant. God chose to make a covenant with you. And you couldn't redeem yourself from slavery. God, the Lord God. And Lord here, remember, every time you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, that's the covenant personal name for God. The relational name for God. Okay? When my kids, at a certain time, all of my kids had a time where they want to start calling me George. And I told each one of them that there's six billion people in the world who can call me George. There's only nine kids, only nine people who can call me dad. And Lord is like dad. We're invited to call him dad. I mean, it's Lord. It's, it's, he's, he's big. It's reminding us of how big he is, but it's the personal name. And he says, verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And you're going to notice that when we go to the, the commandment about the Sabbath day, he's going to remind the people about the fact that he brought them out of slavery, that it's a very, very, very important idea. So we see here, first God makes a covenant, then he redeems us, then he asks us to keep a weekly Sabbath for him by resting and remembering. Now, some of us might say, okay, well, George, here's the problem with this. Uh, I wasn't a slave in Egypt. <laughs> Last I checked, in fact, I mean, I think there's a few people here who've been in Egypt. <laughs> Most of us have never been to Egypt. <laughs> so, you know, maybe other than Paul, 
there's nobody else here who's gone to Egypt, so how could God have redeemed us from it? Like, how does this apply to us as Christians? How does this apply to us at all? Well, uh, two very, very important things. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at two other scripture passages. Here's the first thing to keep in mind. It's a New Testament teaching, a Jesus teaching. Next point, Andrew. Um, until we are redeemed by Jesus Christ, every human being is a slave in denial. By the way, that's why he had to go through the denial to the promised land. Sorry, I tried to slip in a really bad joke. Denial, denial, never mind. Okay. I shouldn't try jokes in English or when they have to be translated into Portuguese. But until, this is very, 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 very stark news. Actually, if you want to just turn to John chapter 8 in your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. Some of you probably, your minds instantly went to that. John chapter 8, verse 34. Keep your your finger in Deuteronomy because we're going to go back. But if you go back to John chapter 8, verse 34, we see Jesus speaking. And um, uh, actually, we'll begin at verse 31. John 8:31 So Jesus said to the Jews that's the religious leaders of the Jewish people who had believed him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free It's a very famous quote you will know the truth and the truth will set you free uh, They answered him we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say you will become free Jesus answered them Truly, truly, if you have the old King James Version, I love it. Verily, verily, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then it goes on, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Um. I'm not going to spend a long time trying to prove this. Uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit, a fair amount actually in the fall when we start our series in Galatians, because in the book of Galatians, the image of slavery uh, as a way to understand being separate from God is one of the primary ideas to understand sin is slavery. But this, I'm going to just point out, this is a very, very stark thing. I, I'm not making any comment. I don't know what Justin Trudeau's eternal destiny is. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I'm not, a, I'm just... But, you know, apparently he isn't. It doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates. It doesn't matter if you're one of Rick's friends on the street. It doesn't matter if you're Justin Trudeau. It doesn't matter if you're a person living in a shelter. Apart from Jesus, you are a slave to sin. You are a slave. If you are here today, you haven't given your life to Jesus the Bible just insulted you. It only insulted you, by the way, if it's not true. If it's true, it was the first true thing you have heard about your situation potentially in a long time. If it's not true, it's an insult. If it's true, it's hope. It's hope. And so you see, on one hand, this is the beginning of trying to understand this Ten Commandment. On one hand, okay, I wasn't a slave in Egypt, 
But if every human being apart from Christ is a slave, and a slave in denial, because Bill Gates does not understand himself as a slave. Justin Trudeau does not understand himself as a slave. And people in Ottawa and in Angola, apart from Christ, do not think of themselves as a slave. But if we understand that Jesus has redeemed us out of slavery into freedom, then that's a very, very easy jump from the Sabbath commandment that we're going to read in a second. Here's the second thing. If you could put up the next point, Andrew. The Exodus recorded in the book of Exodus points to the true and greater Exodus accomplished by Jesus Messiah. Remember, the way the Old Testament is, looking at it from, um, from your point of view, this is written before the cross. We are reading this after the cross. And from Genesis 3 all the way to Malachi 4, time and time again, the scripture is giving us riddles and hints and types and promises that will only be fulfilled in the cross. And after the cross, when we read books like Deuteronomy, we can look back and understand in many ways how this was preparing people to understand the cross. If you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verse 31, Luke chapter 9, verse 31, we'll see this teaching comes from Jesus. It's going to be hard because our, our uh, almost all English versions translate the word, uh, not the, the word, don't translate the word literally. Uh, but they translate it metaphorically. But if you read, uh, we'll begin in verse 28, Luke 9, 28. Uh, now, uh, but, uh, so what's happened here in the flow of the book is that Jesus, just before this, has revealed to, the, to his disciples for the first time that he's going to die on the cross. In fact, not only has he revealed that he's going to die on the cross, he's revealed that his death on the cross is the whole purpose of him coming. And everything that happens in the book of Luke after just a few verses before this is is Jesus preparing in different ways the con- his disciples to understand what it means that he has come to die upon the cross for them to save them. And so here, that's, that's the context of the transfiguration. And this is the story, one of the, Luke's uh, account of the transfiguration. Now about eight days, verse 28, after these sayings about revealing that he's going to die on the cross, uh, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. This is really interesting. Moses, who preaches Deuteronomy and is the one who's there in the book of Exodus that God uses to reveal this covenant with Israel that they are to enter into in the, and, and to remind them of the covenant, to remind them that they were delivered from slavery and, and, and learning how to live as whole and free human beings in light of the covenant. This, this Moses and Elijah, who, who's taken right up into heaven, the, representing the prophets, they're, they're speaking to Jesus. Verse 30 again, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke, 
of his, and the word departure is literally exodus. They spoke of his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So isn't it interesting? Moses talks to Jesus. Moses, who was used by God to bring the people of Israel out of the house of slavery, out of the house of bondage, out of Egypt, by crossing the Red Sea. Jesus has just revealed that he came to die, and now they describe his death upon the cross and what it accomplishes and his resurrection as an exodus. That you, ordinary human beings like you and me, can benefit from. And so the exodus recorded in the book of Exodus points to the true and greater exodus accomplished by Jesus Messiah, which we can benefit from and follow. And so you know, when, when, when we read that uh, if verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of bondage, out of the house of slavery, we can instantly think, one moment, we can completely and utterly get behind this because Jesus accomplished the true and greater exodus because he defeated sin itself. He defeated death itself. Sin which causes death, he's defeated sin, he's defeated death, he's defeated the devil, he's defeated all hostile spiritual powers, he has defeated all of these things. It is the true, that is the true great the true defeat of slavery because we can't stop sinning. We cannot stop ourselves from dying. We are slaves to sin. We are slaves to death. And some of us are even slaves to hostile, demonic, spiritual powers. And we cannot free ourselves. And Jesus' exodus, his death upon the cross and his resurrection is the true defeat of slavery which we can share in by faith. We can remember this commandment, brothers and sisters. This is ours. It is not just for Moses and the people who are there. This is ours. A far greater exodus, a far greater defeat and triumph over slavery. The promise of a far greater freedom and wholeness that can begin on this side of the grave and with the coming of Jesus, where when we see him face to face, and we will see him face to face, and we will be changed because we will be like him, and our wholeness and our freedom in Christ is a destiny that cannot be taken from us. Turn back to, um, to Deuteronomy. Once again, read verse 6. It's Deuteronomy 5, verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now jump down to the actual commandment or the word about Sabbath observance. Verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or 
any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male and servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, here's a couple of things about this. Um, If you could put up the next uh, point. Even after I become Christ's own forever, I can be lured into living like a slave. Even after I become Christ's own forever, I can be lured into living like a slave. I mean, it's really funny. Um, So um, this morning, I'm making my coffee and um, making my peanut butter and jam stuff that I'm going to have with my coffee. And uh, I'm honest with you. I mean, I've been working on this all week. And uh, what am I doing as I'm, as I'm, I'm making my coffee and buttering my, my, my rolls and putting peanut butter and jam on them? Am I thinking, God is so good. He's delivered me from slavery. He's redeemed me. My destiny has been with him forever. No, I was unbelievably anxious about what was going to happen next Sunday. I had been lured into living like a slave. I mean, I was going to come here and tell you all of the things you're supposed to do, but existentially, I was being lured into living like a slave to anxiety. See, that's what sanctification is all about. And that's one of the reasons why the Sabbath is an important tool in sanctification. Because the fact of the matter is, is that our minds naturally move to different things that call our attention to serve them, whether it's anxiety, whether it's to to try to get a particular degree, whether it's about trying to make more money, whether it's about satisfying our, our husband or our wife, whether our mind keeps moving to wounds, things that people did to hurt us. Uh, minds keep going to, 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 to things that people said. My, our minds keep going maybe to you know, particular images. Our, our minds keep going to our pride. Our minds keep going to all sorts of things. And even though we are Christ's own forever, it is really easy for us to be lured into slavery, which is why God in his kindness says, you know what, George? You know what I'd like you to do? Remember, George? I made the covenant. That's that's what goes on when Jesus is doing the Last Supper. He's telling everybody, I'm making a covenant. We didn't all agree to make the covenant. I'm making a new covenant that will go on forever. And I'm going to die on the cross for you. And I'm going to make sure that every single thing that you do that's ever wrong, I'm going to pay for it. And your inability, George, to live a holy life so that, you know, you have perfect fellowship with God, I'm going to do that for you too. I'm going to take away the bad stuff. I'm going to accomplish the good stuff. I do all of that for you. All I ask is that you come with open hands and open arms, that you cease and put your arms out to me, and I'll catch you, and I'll take you. Because it's not, George, about how long your arm, it's about how long my arm, and it's not about how strong your grip is, it's about how strong my grip is. I will never let you go. And George, once a week, I want you to reenact that. See, the word Sabbath means cease. Stop. You see, in some ways, if we start to learn to practice the Sabbath, we're remembering our conversion. 
because our conversion, in a sense, comes, for those of us who've had an adult conversion or an older conversion, our conversion comes when we, in a sense, we've been running from Jesus, our back is to the cross, and the time comes that we no longer are walking away from him, we're no longer running away from him, that we stop and we turn and we lay down our sword and we lay down our shield and we lay down our porcupine outfit, which is all prickly to try to keep everybody, especially Jesus, away, and we lay it all down. And in a sense, we say to Jesus, I have to stop, I surrender. I surrender. I stop. And the word Sabbath means stop. It means cease. And so God in his grace, and he's done all the stuff for us to redeem us. This isn't to redeem us, but he's created this discipline for us to figure out how to enter into where every week I'm invited to stop again on one day. And serving anxiety makes you anxious and tired. Serving money often makes you anxious and tired. Not when you're really successful, but when the stock market drops 30%, you realize how much anxiety you had. (laughs) When it goes down 30%. Or investments crash. And we're invited to rest. And what are we invited to think upon? For at least one day a week, we're not thinking upon, why did that person do that to me? Why don't people like me? Like, why aren't I slimmer or more muscular or taller or shorter or more successful or all of these scripts that that go through our minds all week and for one week one day a week we're invited to actually remember i was a slave in denial i am saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone i am to remember that Jesus won and invited me and brought me into a covenant that is for my wholeness and for my life and for my freedom that will go for all eternity. And I'm invited to cease and rest and remember that one day a week. Next point, Andrew. Here's another thing very briefly. I see our, I have to, we're almost, God is not mean and cruel. He is good and loving. So he redeems us to live as he designed us. Go back later on and read Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> and you'll see that right when God... There's a wonderful thing in the prayer book, Marriage Ceremony, that says um, marriage was instituted, instituted of God in the time of man's innocency. In other words, before the fall, God created marriage. And what's the set saying here? If you go back... Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Before the fall, God designed human beings to have a day of rest every seven. So that means that when he redeems us and enters us into a new covenant, he doesn't say, every seven days they're going to do something really difficult. Every man has to do the splits. That would be cruel and unnatural. I can hardly touch my ankles with my legs straight. I mean, I can touch my toes if I do this. But don't ask me to keep my legs straight. And God isn't mean and cruel and says every man has to do the splits or something like that. He does, redemption redeems us to live the way he created us. 
He created us to have a rest on a day of rest on the seventh day, and now this is sanctified. So, just um, just in closing, uh, seven points about keep pointers about keeping the Sabbath. Seven pointers about keeping the Sabbath. If you want these written, they'll be on the web page uh, Wednesday or whatever. If you're curious, because I'm going to go through them quick. First one, A. Canadian, eh? Sorry, never mind. A, the command is normative and dynamic, not regulative and legalistic. I know four big words. I apologize. I apologize for four big words. You can look at my blog today when I talk about normative and regulative. It's a persistent problem in Christians. So here's the interesting thing about this command. This command does not say... Uh, every okay. Here, here's an example. Islam is regulative, not normative. Five times a day you pray, and you don't just say, uh, do, 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 "My watch, time to pray." Uh, Allah is great. Um, help me with this job interview, and off you go. No, you have to take certain postures. You have to do. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do hand washings. It's regulative. But the command here isn't regulative. It gives us a task, a project. Figure out how to cease, how to rest, and how to remember every seventh day. It doesn't say you have to be in church for six hours. It doesn't say you have to sing four hours of praise music. It doesn't say that you have to say 500 Hail Marys. You see, it's so smart and wise because how we keep the Sabbath in Canada is going to be different than how we keep the Sabbath in Angola. In Canada, one of the great blessings that we have is most Canadians only have to work five days and they make enough money in five days to last seven. We take that for granted. In Angola, most people have to work six days and many of them have to work seven days. And they're going to have to figure out how to keep the Sabbath in a different way than we will in Canada. If you're married to a non-Christian, you're going to have to figure out how to keep the Sabbath in a different way than if you're married to a Christian. You're going to have to figure out how to keep the Sabbath different if you're retired than if you're working. But this text doesn't say, okay, you're retired, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. I mean, every day is the Sabbath. No, it isn't. But maybe it is. Maybe for a retired person, it's going to be that that's the day that you spend far more hours in prayer. But it's very very powerful. It's not legalistic and it's not regulative, but it gives you a project. People of Messiah, God, he made a covenant with you. He redeemed you. A sign of that is cease, rest, remember. You need to figure that out honestly within your context. Does that mean that maybe you won't be involved in minor hockey? Maybe it means you won't be involved in minor hockey. George, how can this work when I have so many hours I have to work throughout the week? Well, the thing is, if you don't actually consider it an important thing to solve, you'll never solve it. But now that you know it's an important thing to solve, talk it over. Maybe it means changing a job. Maybe it means doing some other type of thing. Maybe it means keeping a Sabbath on a day other than Sunday. But this is what God has asked us to do. And he's asked us to do it for our soul's health. It's normative, a project, and it's dynamic. We've got to do something.
Sunday isn't just Saturday, only it got stuck going to church. This command is inviting us to understand the Sabbath day in a different way. The rest are all far quicker. Number B, what this text is implying is that we work wisely and well for six days then rest on the seventh day. Work wisely or be retired wisely and well for six days <laughs> and then rest on the seventh. C, next one. Every week, seek to share the resting and the remembering with others. That's, notice how in the commandment it says how uh, you on the seventh day you rest. Uh, not, not only you, but your servant, your son, your daughter, your donkey, the alien, everybody. The Sabbath is to be shared. And not only the resting and the ceasing, but also if you are with Christians, the remembering is to be shared. Because isn't it the, the case that remembering is always better when you do it with others? I mean, isn't that one of the great things about getting together somebody you haven't seen in a long time and you remember with somebody else? It's just so much more wonderful. Isn't it one of the great things if maybe there's a, you have a family reunion or something like that, a reunion of old friends, and you remember together, and there's something far more wonderful about remembering together. So the Sabbath is to be shared. D, every Sabbath remember... Oh, sorry, we haven't done... Sorry, yeah, sorry, I, I should have been, I, I, I primed. So the A is, uh, did you put up A, B, C, D? No, let's go back A, A B, C, D, just so you can see them. I'm sorry, I, this is my anal aspect. Uh, there we go. The command is normative and dynamic, not regulative and legalistic. B, work wisely and well for six days, then rest on the seventh day. C, every week, seek to share the resting and the remembering with others. D, uh, D, every Sabbath, remember. I was a slave in denial, powerless to free myself. This is a good thing to remember. E, every Sabbath, remember, I am redeemed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. F, every Sabbath, remember, I was redeemed by Christ to live whole and free in an eternal covenant with him. It is so much better to remember this than to remember how you were hurt or that to think about how you're going to hurt somebody or to think about your lust or to think about your envy or to think about your coveting or to think about your greed or to think about your pride or to think about your vanity. It is so much better than having your mind consumed with these things to have a time where you regularly remember that you were a slave in denial you were redeemed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that, who am I in grace? I am redeemed by Christ to live whole and free in an eternal covenant of love with him. Please stand. There's a prayer here in closing that I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Um, just as a, once again, if you're, I mean, somebody I guess can take screenshots. It'll be on the web, I guess on Wednesday when, when uh, Shirley gets back to work, if, you, if, you, if the words are helpful to you. Uh, for some of you, uh, if you have not given your life to Jesus, this can be your conversion prayer. This can be the time. And, you know, if you're imaginative at all, just imagine that you're now 
facing the cross, you drop in the weapons, your sword, your shield, your porcupine outfit to keep God far away. Um, and you're asking to be gripped by the gospel and to become Christ's own. And this can be a conversion prayer. You can be in your own words. But for all of us who are here, it's a, a way to pray the fourth commandment that we will live it. And so if the Lord has touched your heart, I invite you to pray it with me. Heavenly Father, please pour out your Holy Spirit upon me and make me a disciple of Jesus gripped by the gospel, learning to join with other Christians and cease, rest, and remember on every Sabbath for the good of people and the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Help us, Father, to pray this prayer, to live this prayer. Teach us how to keep a Sabbath, Father, which is truly good for us and truly honors you and brings you glory. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.